Welcome to the Mike Quirk Podcast. Now give me my theme music. Okay, uh, welcome again, everybody, um, to our fifth episode. Um, delighted to say I've Phil Carney on the on the line, um, and and we'll we'll have a good look into skill acquisition and 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 different things. And um, and Phil's obviously his base is is uh, above in in Limerick and UL, and uh, a lecturer particularly in those kind of areas, Phil, which we'll 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 get into. Um, and again, for the people, I suppose, as a reminder for the people that are listening, obviously, this is a fundraiser for Recovery Haven below in Tralefill, uh, an organization who provide free cancer support services for the people of Kerry. Uh, and the, the podcast, thankfully, is, is, is being well received and is very popular. And again, I would encourage people that, that have an opportunity or that have the availability of, of some extra cash. We'd obviously love a donation to the, uh, to the fundraising pages attached below. So, um, Phil, you're very welcome. Thanks very much. Uh, delighted to be here, both in terms of the the um, quality of the podcast. I've really enjoyed some of the previous episodes I've listened to, but also in terms of the, the good cause as well. It's always nice to be able to support something like that too. For sure. For sure. Yeah. Um, Phil, maybe for the people that aren't as familiar with you as as I've become in the past couple of days, uh, would you, could you give us kind of a brief overview of, of where you're at in terms of, of what you've done, your research and, and your lecturing and different things? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so my main role really is the to head up the Masters in Applied Sports Coaching at the University of Limerick. Um, that's a really, really privileged position that I find myself in. Uh, effectively, we get an intake of coaches every year. It's a two-year part-time course. Uh, so we've got kind of two, two groups every year coming through um, who are really interested in coaching, really motivated to improve their coaching, really open to share and engage. Um, and my job is to to help them to manage their development, to support their development by engaging with research, by structuring their development process to allow them to maximize their their individual development. So it's it's very much a bespoke masters. We, we talk about your coaching as the curriculum. So we'll, we'll provide support. We'll connect with research. We'll connect with a series of tasks to help you interrogate what you want to know more. Um, but really, it's about, you know, you deciding what are the issues that you face in your coaching that you need to get better at. Um, we'll obviously double check that those are the key issues, that this is the, the, the most important aspect. Um, but then you and your peer group will work to uh, work to, to develop and enhance your own coaching. So uh, for me, you know, this is. I don't know. I don't know what I'm going to face. I don't know what the issues are going to be year on year, month on month as we work through. Um, but it's fantastic to be able to walk into a room of coaches and just light some sparks and, and the fire goes and the, the peer group especially is, is phenomenal. Yeah. Um, so the main, the main work that I do is, um, I suppose now is coach development in the context of that. Mm. Um, and that's, again, is, is coaches coming from across a whole range of different team and individual sports as well, which is, which again, really makes and is a really important part, I think, of the, the experience that we can offer. Um, so I'm, I'm doing more teaching, I'm doing more, more kind of coach development side of things. But um, yeah, as you say, my, my primary interest as a researcher, my, my passion has always been uh, skill acquisition. Mm. So uh, looking at how we enhance the learning of motor skills, how we um, fast track that, that process, how we help people to deliver under pressure. What's the, what is the science behind that, that allows whether it's coaches or, or any instructors effectively to, to enhance the quality of what they do. Um, and this is again, whether we're talking about, you know, children and their, their fundamental movement skills and the initial engagement in sport, whether we're talking about high performers, whether we're talking with somebody who's got a, a bad habit and it's really tricky to try and resolve again, what does the science say about the process that we can bring into it to resolve that? Um, but also in terms of, of, I guess, talent development is, is longer term skill acquisition. It's the longer term development of expertise. So increasingly as well, I've been engaged in research on that, particularly in track and field athletics, which has been my, uh, my, my primary sport of interest. Um, and trying to understand you know, what that journey looks like and, and look at the numbers a little bit to map out how much we know about that, uh, that journey. So 
that's kind of the research side, the main kind of teaching side, but I'm also really privileged in terms of the, the range of PhD and ProfDoc students that I'm working with. So, you know, Phil Fitzgerald is one that was on with you a couple of weeks mm-hmm. back. He's doing some some really great work in terms of maturation. Yeah. Um, you've got Nala Mani there in Chile as well, doing some great work around games-based approaches and development. Uh, you've got another Kerryman, Carol Dillon, doing some nice work on bilateral skill in, in Gaelic football. You've got Rob Mulcahy, who's based in Clare, doing some really nice work in terms of talent development, talent selection in, in particular. So again, I'm also incredibly lucky that I get to support people with good ideas and with real passion to, to go and develop. And, and my role there is to almost step back a little bit and, and just be the support and be the, the guide rails to ensure that they can do their research and, and have as big as impact as they possibly can. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's sounds like a busy schedule, uh, Phil. Tell me that like, it's even just when you list off Fionn and Niall and Rob Mulcahy, it, it seems like there's almost a kind of a wave of, of research happening in a, in a GA context. I know there maybe not all GA context, but there seems like there's a lot more of it coming now where people are actually um, really digging into this stuff to see well, what are the actual facts of it as opposed to just the anecdotal stories that we've all kind of grown up with? Yeah, there is. Um, and, and I should say, you know, that there's there's a number of different pockets of this. Mm. Um, so up in, in uh, Tala, I think in, in, in TU Dublin, you've got a Gaelic Games Research Centre, which mm. have done some great work over the years in terms of um, more so around um, kind of running mechanics and, and match demands of, of various different Gaelic games. So they've done some really great work. Um, uh, so you've got, you've got, you know, groups in different places doing some really nice work, but I guess it's just come together really nicely that we've got a, a cluster of interested individuals at the moment in, in, in Gaelic games. I think part of the, I guess, the trigger for us as well was, um, Paul Knurk's recent PhD through the University of Limerick. So, uh, he would have done that primarily with, with Mark Lyons, a supervisor, as, as primary supervisor, and uh, Stephen Harvey um, would have supported that as well. I was just fortunate that when I moved back to Limerick, Paul was just over halfway through that process, um, and I was lucky enough to get involved as part of that as well. And, and he's, he's got some great answers and some great research done, but as any good project will do, it also asked more questions. Mm-hmm. So that's where you know things like Nilo Mahani's work is is addressing some of those more directly. You know the the questions that Paul has uncovered that need to be be followed up and answered afterwards. I think there is a lot of of work still to be done, um, but there's a lot of great work happening on the ground in terms of of and as you say, we've got to be really careful in terms of you know traditional ways of doing things. Just because something has been done traditionally doesn't mean it's right. Mm-hmm. Just because something's been done that way traditionally doesn't mean it's wrong either. Mm-hmm. But this is where I come in as a scientist and, and my role is to test these things. Mm. You know, so let's let's work with coaches. Let's find out what they think is, is happening and why they think it's happening. And okay, let's let's confirm that they're going down the right track, that these things that they think are working are genuinely working. And these things that they think um, or other things that they might be doing might go, do you know what? That's actually not having the effect you think it has, because humans are, are, are very susceptible to recognizing patterns or to fooling themselves. Mm. Um, uh, Feynman, the, the scientist, the, the physicist, very famously came out, you know, the easiest person to fool is yourself. And we, you know, we, are, we are unwittingly seeing patterns or we're thinking that something is happening. The advantage of working in, in terms of a scientific process is you get to just, just confirm, let's stop, let's do some real serious observation on this. Does it actually hold up? And, you know, I think when we do that, we start to, to winnow out those practices that are really effective and that are working that we want to do more of. And then we start to say those practices that actually we need to let go of those. And but even as I say that, that's a little bit too simplistic. Because, yeah. you know, it's, it's not the case that there's good or bad practices. It's also about how you apply them. So it's like saying that the squat is a good or a bad exercise. No, no, the squat is a useful exercise for improving certain things. Mm-hmm. And it's not going to help you with other things. So are you doing the right things for the right purposes in the right way? Mm-hmm. But there again is where, where I kind of think, you know, we're on the cusp of something in Ireland. There's lots of people, lots of coaches who are experimenting with different ways of doing things, which is fantastic. There's a real appetite to understand what's the best way of doing this. Um, and I think 
we're in a really nice position now where we can bring some of the, the scientific methods in to confirm that these are genuinely working. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, that's probably a really nice segue into, into what I was, you know, looking at initially just discussing is, is that whole area of, of, you know, skill acquisition and skill development, skill acquisition, like, I, you know, when you're talking about traditional ways of, of coaching, not necessarily are, are good or not necessarily are bad. Obviously, it's, it's a way to kind of analyze and look at those and decide which is good and keep it and what's less good. We can maybe discard a little bit in terms of like the age old questions I get asked every every time I'm speaking at anything is is about drills versus games. Uh, and I know this is a huge area and, and there's lots of different rabbit holes we can go down. But can we can we just look at that for a couple of minutes? Because I'm very conscious of uh, those coaches, Phil, who are coaching your under nine basketball or your under 14 rugby or your under 17 Gaelic football. And, and we have that traditional idea in our head. Still, it still remains that we, we, we go with drills, 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 and then we reward with a game at the end. That, that, that's the kind of very generic traditional model of of how we coach team sports in particular. Um, and, and obviously there's a lot of, you know, new thinking with regard to that about different things in terms of a games that approach or constraints. Like what, what exactly are we looking at here now in terms of, of skill acquisition? Where do we need to keep pushing the boulder down the hill to get to? Yeah. So, well, as you say, there's, there's an awful lot in that. That's a, yeah. that's, a, that's a big area and it's a contentious area as well. But one of the reasons why it's a very contentious area is, you know, you, you often listen to people arguing and then you go, hang on a second. Are they are they arguing about the same thing or different things? What exactly do you mean when you're talking about drill? What exactly do you mean when you're talking about games? And actually unpacking some of these. And, and I think it's always useful to to break it down and look at the actual practices and the nature of the practices. Um, so that's one part. A second part is always asking the question of what are we doing this for? Mm-hmm. So what's what's your purpose in doing this activity? Um, because the purpose will shape an awful lot of whether something is appropriate or not. Um, and then the final thing is simple economics, you know? And what I mean by that is how many footballs have you got for your team? You know, if you're talking about you know, we need to, we, one of the things I'll often hear is, you know, we need to do these kind of drills. We need to do these kind of uh, running from around the square or in lines and doing this, that, and the other, because people need to get lots and lots of repetitions in. I was like, well, okay, let's park that for a moment. But, you know, I've enough footballs to give everybody a football or one football between two. Because suddenly we can get an awful lot of repetitions in now and we don't need to be standing around in, in, in lines and waiting and so forth. So, but there's an economics piece. If you've got enough footballs, you can do this. If you haven't got enough footballs, that's, a, that's a, an important constraint that we've got here. So there's a whole host of things uh, that we want to consider. I guess I'll always come back to a number of, of kind of, of principles. And one is about, you know, where, where learning comes from. And learning often, you know, or sorry, learning is, is about, if you're engaged with something, if you're passionate about something, if you're motivated by something, you will learn. I always remember the, the conversation about, you know, this, uh, you know, my son is, is, is struggling a little bit in, uh, in school. You know, he's, he's not learning, he's not picking up the aspects that quick. And I'm like, yeah, that's, that's fair enough. But you're, you're talking about this kid here, is it? This kid here who can tell me all 5,000 variations of Pokemon and when you'd see each one and which one's better than which. This is the kid who's struggling to, to okay, fair enough. So there's, there's a, you know, engagement has got to be our number one when it comes to learning. So, okay, if our goal is learning, well, number one, how do we make things engaging? Um, and a big part of that for me is, is you know, this is where the game or, or some form of the game comes in. Mm-hmm. It doesn't mean you play the game, the full game at the start, but let's, let's, let's play a game at the start because we're not here. You know, I, I had another example where I, I was uh, doing a session, it was a hurling club actually, and um, the, the coach was saying, look, how do I, I've got this kid and, and he's about seven years of age, eight years of age, and all he wants to do is take the slitter, pop it on the hurley and go for a mad run up the pitch. How do I, how do I get him, you know, to, to, to play the game of hurling, you know? And I'm like, well, hang on a second, you've got to look at this from his perspective, you know, because for him, the game of hurling isn't about passing. For him, the game of hurling is going for this mad run. This is what it's. This is what the excitement of the game is. The joy of the game is, you know. And if your primary goal is to engage people with football or hurling or whatever the sport is, 
well, what makes that, what's the joy of the game for them? Right, well, let's, let's start with that, or let's make sure that's a big component of the session. So I think that's, you know, what, what's the engagement? What's the bit that, that really grabs their attention? That, that comes first. And I think the idea of the game as a reward misses a point or misses an opportunity, you know, because if, if the other thing I will often see when I see people doing these kind of structured line drills, I see people very quickly going through the motions. And I see the quality dropping. And I hear coaches losing their voices because they have to shout so much to try and get the quality up and going, do you know what? If you use the game and you set the situation up in the game and suddenly the player sees the need to get better at this. And you've set a player who, who needs and wants to improve in this area. You don't need to worry about the quality of what comes next when you kind of simplify it down or can change the practice context a little bit. Because if they know, oh, if I can do this better here, then I can go back. This is the kid who will learn the 5,000 Pokemon, but the equivalent of that within, within whatever the, the, the game context is. So I think that's a second really big part of it for me, you yeah. know, that actually the motivation to, to focus, to pay attention, to practice will come from the game more so and much more easily than a, a promise of a game as a reward. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's just understanding a little bit about how the how the mind works yeah. um, and the other bit then becomes you know you know what, what what are the different ways in which we can we can simplify activities because it's absolutely essential to simplify activities absolutely is you know and and i think there's an awful lot of misconceptions about what the game-based approach is and, and what you are allowed and not allowed to do within game-based approaches you know there, there absolutely is a case for and a place for um going down and, and, and working on an action within the context of a game-based approach. And that could even be to the case of, you know, an individual child working on experimenting with a bit on their own. That's, that's part of a game-based approach. Mm -hmm. It's a small part. It's a minimal, minimum necessary dose. You do as little of it as you can. Mm -hmm. As soon as they've mastered that, then you want them moving into using it in some more applied kind of context. Um, but, you know, we're talking about as much as possible, you're playing games, but those games could be, you know, 1v1 games, 2v1, it can be 0v1. If everybody has a football, if you've got that and you can provide that, then okay, I want you to move and I want you to visit all four sides of the square with the football hopping and bouncing. You've got to avoid people, but you're not competing against anybody else. Mm -hmm. Well, there's skill execution, but it's skill execution where you're, you're adapting your movements to the requirements, but it's simplified enough. That's, that's, that's better. I will say absolutely that is better than somebody going through the motions of a drill type situation. However, and, and again, this is where, where, you know, Niall Mahoney is going to be a great person to talk to in a year's time when he's got a chance to process mm -hmm. through some more of his data. Um, you know, there are times where a coach will bring players in and will run these, you know, drills and these line activities, but it's got nothing to do with learning. And this is really important because lots of times coaches watch these higher performance coaches, or these other coaches, and they assume that they're doing this to enhance learning. Whereas the coach might be saying, look, I don't know these guys and they don't know me. So I'm going to do some, some small grid work and drills. So I'm nice and close and I can see all of them and I can test my knowledge of their names and they can know that I'm watching them and I'm giving them a message that I'm paying attention to them and it allows me to communicate really effectively with them. But it's all about building a relationship, building a bond, a connection with players. It's got nothing to do with learning. Mm -hmm. We're going to spend five minutes doing some kind of a, maybe it's a hand passing drill, but it's, it's not going to give us much in the way of learning. Mm -hmm. but it'll give me a connection that I can use further down the line. Yeah. Um, whereas, you know, somebody watching from the outside must be, oh, they think that's a great drill for learning. It might have nothing to do with learning yeah. as to why they're using it. So it's, it becomes incredibly complicated when we, we try and kind of still this. Um, yeah. Yeah. No, it is. It's it's obviously a, 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 a massive area, and it's just one that I still I still think that um, we're probably not getting quite right as 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 volunteer coaches in in any association in any sport. The, 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 that kind of reproductive pedagogy of of coaching the way that I myself was coached when I was a kid, which was probably primarily a lot of drills based activities that those linear cone to cone, you know, hop solo or layups or passing rugby or kick, whatever it is. 
um, that that is still prevalent as, as we feel that maybe that's the best way to isolate that aspect of the skill and that's the best way for them to develop and to learn and to improve in that, in that part of the, of the, the technique, I suppose. Whereas you're, you're saying that, look, we can, we can obviously mimic certain situations in games that can, can have a similar effect. Is, is that fair? Absolutely. And, 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 you know, simplify the games. If you have enough space in the game, if you have enough time around, or if there's, there's, you know, limited contact that will happen with you, then, you know, you, you, you still have the, um, this, the simplified, the less complex situation, which you can do that. But critically, we're preserving the most important thing, which is that you are adapting your movement to the demands of the situation, mm -hmm. because that's what skill is. Mm -hmm. Skill isn't a technique. It isn't moving in a particular way. Skill is solving the problem that the moment presents. Whether that problem is uh, where exactly your teammate is and how fast they're running and where you need to put the ball and what pace you need to put the ball or whether you're the cornerback and the skill is in terms of shutting down their space and, and, and stopping their forward progress and how you, you position yourself to do that. Skill is about adapting your movements to the demands of the situation so you solve the problem the movement presents. And, and this is what coaching is. Coaching is designing the appropriate problem for a player to solve. Mm -hmm. Sometimes those are simple problems. You're talking about inter-county squads. These are going to be much more complex problems. Yeah. And it's about understanding, okay, how do I set the right level of problem for the players that I'm dealing with? Mm -hmm. And then this is where if you're the, the school's coach or the club coach and the volunteer coach, yours is the hardest job. Because at the inter-county level, they're all at a certain level. Yeah. Whereas you're dealing with a big, a big mix. And so at that point, okay, how do you manage to, to adapt? You know, how do you manage to, to set a challenge, set a problem that's appropriate to everybody or put handicaps on so that everybody is given an appropriate level of challenge. And that might be as simple as, you know, yourself and myself are going up and we've got to do a series of, of you know, you know, five times we're going to go and, and try and achieve some outcome. Okay, well, if you win four out of five or five out of five, you win the game. If I win one out of five, I win the game. Yeah. Because you're taller than I am. You're stronger than I am. You're more familiar with the game than I am. But you know what? I reckon you make one mistake and I might just be able to pip you to that one. Yeah. And so therefore, there's still an engagement. There's still a motivation for me mm -hmm. um, to, to engage and to practice within that. So again, it, it's, it's a challenge. Um, but this is, you know, this is the essence of good coaching. It's setting the appropriate level of challenge. Yeah. And that's solving the problem for that the moment presents is probably, you know, it's, it's, it, it encapsulates everything really in terms of, in terms of what you want in a skill, but that crucially the game, and, and we haven't really mentioned it, the, the, the small sided game, as opposed to the linear drill, it encapsulates decision-making, which, which is obviously, it's almost like a, an under appreciated or under recognized aspect of skill. You like skills are irrelevant unless you have the appropriate decision-making to know when is the time to execute, you know, such and such, depending on whatever that moment presents really. Oh, completely. I have, um, I have a kind of a set of five questions that I ask when we're evaluating, you know, how well any activity, especially game-based activity is running. So the first question is, is it safe? Because if it isn't safe, you stop and you've got to fix that straight away. Okay. Number two, is it active? Because if majority of people aren't active, then again, this isn't, this isn't working either. We need to fix that. Number three, is it inclusive? So again, we don't want a game to be played where there's got one or two people and they've got no involvement whatsoever. We need to make some change to, to bring them and make them inclusive. Okay, if all that is happening, then we go, okay, number four, are there good decisions being made? Because if there aren't good decisions being made, then that's, that's our next step. You know, why not? What is it? Is it they don't see decisions or they don't have enough space? Okay, well, that's the bit we need to fix. Only once we go through those four questions, only at that stage do we ask, and are there good movements being made? Because the movement depends on the decisions that are available. If you, you, know, if, if you, if you see better decisions, if you're making better decisions, then you'll often find people will, will transform their, their skills that they're executing. They will, be, they will show you skills that you didn't realize that they had once you open up their, their capacity to make better decisions. Mm -hmm. But the, the, the movements that you make they follow on from the decisions that you make. They follow on from the situations that you find yourself in. So it, it is absolutely for me, number one, you know, 
go, run through that, that that cascade. But you know, movements are the last thing you you think about trying to fix and change because so much is happening. That's that's um, the, sorry. The movements are the consequence of so many other things that are happening earlier on in the, in the process. You don't want to be fixing something that's a symptom. You want to be fixing the cause. So what's what's the root cause? And and oftentimes that's the you know you fix the decisions and, and the movements take care of themselves. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and is it what way do we look at this in terms of the different age groups? I'm I'm, I'm conscious now that you, I probably have a, a there's a large different spectrum of of people in their coaching journey that listen to this. So you have people that are probably starting out that are under sevens or under nines, and then you probably have people that are are coaching much much older people. In in terms of of that kind of a approach all the way through, are you are you is it a little bit more prescriptive as we're as we're younger and and less so as we get older, or what's the what's the appropriate kind of you know approach for coaches? Yeah, so I think um, I, I, again I'll come back and, and number one, what's engaging for these different groups? So you know, if you always start by thinking about can I make this engaging first and foremost? Mm-hmm. If it's engaging, we'll get learning that follows after that. Learning won't be a fight if it's engaging. Mm-hmm. So whatever I do, I want to make it engaging. Um, in terms of is it a bit more prescriptive? I guess the way I think about it is you know the, the nature of the problems that you solve might be a bit or that you set as a coach might be a bit simpler. Simpler, mm. simpler problems that you're setting. However, you know if you uh, and so a couple of years back I was coaching a lot of six and seven year olds. Now this was an athletics club and it looked nothing like athletics because they're six and seven. It shouldn't look anything like athletics, yeah. but. One of the things we do a lot of is, is variations in different types of chasing games. Mm-hmm. And the sophisticated behavior, the tactical behavior that you would see, the decision-making that you would see in terms of the timing of a run, the patience and waiting, and now we make the run, in terms of the shadowing or teamwork to close down and, and, and limit the use of space for somebody. The sophistication of behaviors is fantastic. If you saw that in a football field, you think these guys really have it. And all we've done is simplified the game by reducing it down to a really simple game of chasing, but they're capable of very sophisticated behaviors. So I think my key pit is, you know, don't underestimate what children are capable of and, and always try and, and work at whatever they're, give them as much challenge as they can handle. And they'll very often surprise you in terms of how much, how much challenge they can handle. The other bit then in terms of, I guess we often get asked, you know, look, I like this idea of a game-based approach, but we need to spend more time on maybe some of the basic technical stuff first. Mm. Um, you know, the, the first one, and I can't remember who said it, but they talked about, you know, learning is like, you know, your, your fingernails growing. It's happening. You don't always realize it. You don't always see it, but it's, it's happening. Um, sometimes it can be a little bit messy and you're wondering, you walk out of a session, you go, geez, did, did anything good happen there? Mm. But two, three weeks of chaos later, and you start to see, okay, it's starting to come together. It's starting to click. So I think when you're, when you're coaching at, at the youth level in particular, there's, there's an element of patience is so important for coaches. And an element of just trust in the process is so important for, uh, for coaches. The other really important skill acquisition principle is that how well somebody performs in the moment how well somebody performs in one session tells us very little about how much they're learning. You can be performing really well and be learning very little. You can be performing quite poorly and messily and it doesn't look like anything sticking, but you're actually learning quite a bit. Mm-hmm. If we want to assess learning, we assess learning by what you bring back to the next session. Now what you can do in this session, but how much you remember, how much you bring back in the next session because there are many things that we can do that will artificially boost performance. If I get you to take 10 free throws in a row, seven, eight, nine, 10 are probably gonna be better than one, two, three, four. Why? Well, because you're just doing the same thing over and over again, your body will get used to that. But if I wanna know how much of that you've learned, how good you are, I don't judge it on the basis of free throw, seven, eight, nine, 10. I judge it on the basis of start of the next session, up to the free throw line, you've got two shots. That's what tells me whether you've learned or not. Mm -hmm. And so this is what we need to be thinking about in terms of actually judging the effectiveness of our coaching. If it looks really good in the moment, 
don't be fooled. Remember, I said at the start, the easiest person to fool is yourself. If it looks really good, it looks like it's working really smoothly, we've got all this done, that doesn't mean they're learning anything. How do you know if they've learned? Okay, do you know what? What's the first activity you're going to design at the start of the next session? Don't tell them, just let it run and see, has it stuck? Do you see what you've been working on? And, but the exact same thing applies in terms of, you know, you're, you're watching a match and you draw your conclusions after a match and you say, you know what, the three things that we've got an issue with here are one, two, and three. Now that could be the case or it could be the case that they're just having a bad day. Mm. So start of the next session. Okay, let's start your session with a game or a game form. It doesn't be the full game, but a simplified game form that will reveal whether that particular issue, maybe it's, you know, players aren't making forward runs appropriately. Okay, set it out. Do you see the same thing happening again? If you see the same thing happening again, you've just confirmed, okay, that's an issue. That's definitely something I need to pay attention to. But by starting your session with that, that game form, not leaving it as a reward to the end, but starting the session, now you're using it for two reasons. Number one, you're assessing what the, the players have learned. Number two, you're checking your, the quality of your assessment. Did I assess them correctly the last day? Did, are they at where I thought they were? And number three, now when you want to have a, play, a conversation with the players and we want to work on something today, it's fresh in their minds. What did you notice? Oh, no one was making a run for me. No one was making a run. Why not? Was the market, what's what was happening here? So we've got a conversation going. Right. So now we've got to work on the next part of this session about fixing that problem, which you've all just identified. You know what's happening. You've seen it. You've experienced it. We're motivated. We're ready to work on it. So you're, you're kind of starting the session with more yeah. of, a, of some form of a game has multiple, multiple benefits. Mm. And I think that's... Um, that's kind of another aspect. I, I know I've kind of deviated from whatever the, the initial question was, but yeah, I can't even remember the initial question. But but it but it's all very relevant, obviously. And it it's context is probably the crucial thing that that the games are giving you context, and then obviously to go back and to reassess it, obviously not on the same night, but to, to look at that again and again, obviously, and again that you have to keep going and and, and assessing that. Like how how long? And this is a bit like how long is a piece of string, I suppose, but. Like if I'm talking about a you know a, a recurring issue, let let's say it's a it's a decision making issue that we're not happy with our shot selection in basketball or or, or whatever it is, it doesn't matter. Um, and that's an area that we're focusing on through our games, and we're we're designing tasks to specifically look at this aspect. Um, how long are we are we are we expecting or are we hoping? before we start to see an improvement in that area. Obviously, it's very dependent on the players and the ages and different things. But what, what's a kind of a, you know, to give hope to some coaches who are looking down this avenue to say, this is what I really want to do. I know you desperately want me to give you hope. But if I was inside in the <laughs> office, this literally is where I'd open the drawer and take out my piece of string, which I have for, for exactly this purpose. Yeah. Um, no, this is the thing about learning. Yeah. You know, it's, it's nonlinear. We, we don't know how long it takes. Sometimes it can click and it can be really smooth. And this is fantastic. And enjoy those days. They don't happen very often. Um, sometimes it can be painfully slow, but that doesn't mean it isn't, it isn't going to get there. It isn't going to happen. It, it sometimes it does. Sometimes, um, sometimes you need to take a break, go away and do something else. And then you come back to it again. And suddenly it's all come together without you thinking about it you know that that that's uh, the, the formal name for it is reminiscence it's something that we know and 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 it happens it's a well-established phenomenon in terms of learning and memory um sometimes things come together following a break where the 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 you know you were working and working on it and it just wasn't coming together it wasn't clicking there's a number of possible reasons why that might be happening but again it's just one of those things sometimes and, and every coach will have met this at some stage and something in his life, you were working away at something, it wasn't, wasn't happening, you took a break, you walked back and ah, all came together. That, that same thing applies for, for players learning as well. So um, this, is, and this is the really important, because like, you know, coaching is, is extremely difficult, mm. right? There's the, well, sorry, let me, let me rephrase that one. Coaching is extremely complex, okay? It's, there's, there's so many parts to it. 
Um, you can make it more difficult or, or less difficult. You can, you know, depending on how you manage it. You know, people who are really well organized, have a really good process and know what they're doing, have good plan set out that helps them to, to manage yeah. the, the complexity of it. Um, but what's really important for a coach is to be paying attention. So what's happening here? Is this a case where I need to keep going with this? Well, what are the things that that might be indicating to me that the players are still engaged, that I can keep going with this and I, they're not going to be getting tired of it and getting annoyed with it? Or what are the signs that say, maybe I need to take a short break from this? Or what are the signs that say, you know, so, so literally it's, it's about learning to just pay attention to, to the group. And again, the, the difficulty with coaching is the signs for one group might be completely different to the signs for another group. Um, and so this is just this is just part of the the complexity of coaching. Yeah, and that's and, and that's I suppose I, I would have had I would have spoke to um, Frank Dick uh, last week or the week before, and and he would have spoke about you know those skills that you can be taught and those skills that you have to learn and 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 those people skills I suppose you know are are that's kind of what you're speaking about in one sense that you 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 just have to go through that and gain experience and find out when it is time to take a break or when it is time to to push on a little bit and that's that's the, that's the trick of it and that's the frustration of it because you never know exactly when when you're going to get there obviously that there's definitely the frustration aspect of it but i think we can fast track that as well so in one sense and i fully agree in terms of you know you you can't you can't learn this stuff without practicing it, without being in the moment engaged. Mm. You, you can't. But, and this is the, the value of having a peer group, having coaches that you're discussing with. You can learn, you can fast track your learning through conversations around, you know, geez, listen, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm working on this thing. We're working on our, our shot selection and it's just not clicking, you know? At what point would you keep go, would you would you stop and move on to something else? Or what would you be looking for that lets you say that it's okay? And having that conversation, what are the specific details? Just really get drilled down into the details with another coach. You know, what are you seeing? What are you watching for? And they might come back to you and go, Do you know what? I haven't really paid enough attention to that, but let me watch this week and see how people are reacting. And then we'll have a chat next week. But I think those those informal conversations are, are so important. And I think there's such opportunity to learn. And, and no situations will ever be the same. Mm. No two situations will ever be the same, but you might recognize some similarities. That was similar to what Mike was saying the other day. I wonder if I tried that, that solution or adapted that slightly, that might work. And so I think this is where, you know, coaching not being, not being something you do on your own, but something that you do in conversation with others. It, it can just really make a massive difference to how quickly how quickly you learn and how quickly you manage to convert your experiences to learning because people can have an awful lot of experiences and not learn much from it. Yeah. But those conversations are a really critical piece in being able to just, just tune in your attention to where the key bits of information might be that you need to pay a bit more attention to and that suddenly reveals there's a solution to me. There's something I can do. There's some information I need to pay attention to. Mm valuable resource obviously but i i wonder is it and is it is there enough of that happening in in uh i know it's probably largely anecdotal at this stage but is there is there enough of that happening in clubs or in counties obviously in counties it's difficult no matter the sport because everybody is so parochial they're looking after the information that they have themselves that will help my own team and i don't want to help your team or your club uh but certainly within clubs you know, that idea of a community of practice or, or even more informal and just having a chat on a Sunday after training or whenever it is, like that is a really rich resource if people were willing to tap into it. It can be incredibly rich. Um, so Anna-Marie McCarthy is a, a, just completed her master's um, with us and as part of her research project, she studied one club and they had implemented um, Gaelic for Girls initiative and she was a did a case study of a group of a club that had done this really really well that had really made an impact and part of the reason why it worked so well for their club was that club community of practice mm. how the coaches came together how they interacted with each other how they went you know having a little bit of trouble implementing this bit what are you trying what are you trying so they had their little bit of a, a coffee morning or a get together where they could just work out and puzzle those things out and it's it's a practical example of a club that did this and that really valuably or really benefited 
from doing that little that exercise together. I think that there's um, an acknowledgement that this is really important. There's an acknowledgement that we don't know enough about it. Fortunately, so uh, Will Harmon down with LGFA down in Kerry as well. So he's actually done some really nice work on that. And so again, that's something that's that that will be coming out more uh, over the coming years. But but Will's work uh, and and for me, you know, if if anybody wants to understand that whole community practice process better, you cannot find anywhere anyone better than Will, just to give you some real practical guidance that Darren does. This is the really exciting thing for me, you know, um, since moving back to Ireland, since getting involved in the master's program, the richness of coaching and coach expertise, coach development expertise that we have on this island that we don't always champion or recognize is extraordinary. There are some really fantastic coaches, coach developers, practitioners that are doing some great work here. And a lot of it isn't about, you know, we need to invent, reinvent the wheel. Yeah. No, we just need to recognize and champion more the good stuff that's already happening. Yeah. And and push it out there and 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 let let people know that this is this is what's happening and this can be very, very beneficial if you actually engage in it and, and see how it can apply to your own context or your own club or your own team. And uh, yeah, it's great. And and geez, it seems most of Kerry seems to be uh, stuck in in uh, in your in your research, which is which is great. Um, you know, I, I had wrote I wrote down there a minute ago when we were talking about uh, skill acquisition, just to jump back a tiny little bit, because I know that's a that's a really big part for people. Um, I, I wrote down about a PlayStation game and, and it was a, it was a great story I'd heard before about um, the difference between your your traditional football, basketball, rugby sessions, your team sport, soccer uh to that of a playstation game like minecraft or fortnite or one of these and 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 how they those games do such a really good job and and obviously the people that are paid to design them do a really good job of satisfying the kids needs for you know a competence related to autonomy and and really do a great job of allowing them to move forward or to move back and to pause and go again and keep practicing in a level until they get it back and they get over it and they move on to the next level, which is slightly harder. And it's a probably a really, I just found it a really good kind of a metaphor for, for nearly where we should be going in terms of that games based approach again to our training sessions, that there's so many lessons that you can actually take from those games that are so en- engaging as you talked about and, and how they suck the kids in and how they want to get better at them. Uh, and games really allow us to, I have a big thing. I, I would have done my my master's on, on looking at autonomy, supportive environments. And I have a big thing about autonomy and how how powerful that can be, obviously, for our, our you know, the, the impact on our own motivation. Um, and I just see the game and, and through that PlayStation idea. And I have my kids, my own age that are, are that, that are 11 and nine or whatever. And should they did play the PlayStation all day long if they got the chance. But I just see it as such a powerful tool because of the way the game is designed. And, and the point you made about designing your game or your practice related specifically to what the need or the, the ability of those kids are, I think is a really, really important point to, to make. Yeah. And, 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 you know, to build in your point as well about the opportunities for autonomy, what the opportunities for, for you to shape. So it becomes your training session as well. I'll, I'll come back to that in a second. I think one of the, one of the bits for me, that we don't do a good enough job of. I say, I've talked about that there are, there are people that are resources within the Irish environment that we're not promoting enough. Um, but I also think that there's research out there and people often have this, this conception of research as, you know, oh, it's, it's this distant, it's, it's removed from the field, it's removed yeah. from the playing pitch. Nothing could be further from the truth in terms of coaching science research now, where it's going. And so a really specific example in terms of what you're talking about, there's an English um, researcher, she's, she has her, her doctorate now called Amy Price, um, came through soccer as the sport in choice, but her, her whole research started because she was playing around with the ideas of, as a soccer coach, how can I apply these video game design principles into the design of my sessions? And her research now is, is basically documenting how to do this. Here's how any coach can take. So there's a how-to guide. Here's some different types of games that you can play. Here are the different, um, you know, ways in which you can, you can, you know, players can take some time out and they can practice some individual bits and then come back into the main game. They can freeze. She has like superpower rewards if you're the older kids, mm-hmm. you know, 
and all these, this, this is how you can adapt this into your coaching. Uh, so Amy Price is her name and she has done an absolutely wonderful job. But this is the kind of resource that exists that's there that we're not doing enough of to make, it's accessible in and of itself, but just to encourage its uptake. Because as you say, there's loads of coaches who are hungry for that kind of material, who want to do something like that. The answers, a lot of the time, the answers are there, but I think we don't have enough time, which is is kind of pointing towards those answers that that already exist. Yeah. Um, and then the other bit, you know, the, I think the really important bit, you know, for me is, especially if we're talking seven, eight, nine, 10, 11 year olds, it applies to everybody. Okay. But it can apply right down that age as well. You know, how are they shaping the session that they're in? It's their session. Okay. Now they're not going to shape everything. I'm not saying that the coach doesn't know better in some respects. Your kids will play PlayStation every day. If you gave them full autonomy over what to eat for dinner, I'm pretty sure it wouldn't hit the nutritional guidelines that we're after either. Okay. So we have to curtail the amount of choice that they have, but we can give them quite a lot of choice within that. And so this for me is a massive part, especially if we want, you know, 16, 17, 18 year olds mm. that we can have really good, sophisticated conversations with who can make good choices and contribute to discussion and talk to us about what they're seeing. If we want really, really sophisticated conversations there, well, in the same way that we have progressions for skills leading up to that, well, we need progressions for the discussions that athletes can have, the level of autonomy that we give them right the way up to that. So that literally means if we're talking about seven, eight-year-olds, okay, do you want to have another go at this activity or do you want to move on to the next activity now? What are the simple choices that you can give? So they walk out thinking, well, that was our session because we got to pick what to do and when to do it and which one to start with. These are simple choices, the choices that you can give that as I'm sure your research showed as well, have very positive influences on motivation, return participation and learning. Yeah, huge. And, and I, 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 like we spoke about questioning with a number of different people and, and they've all highlighted the, I suppose, how, how it's still an underutilized tool for us in, in, in coaching that we still don't spend enough time actually thinking about the questions that we ask and then asking enough questions as opposed to prescribing. Um, but that idea of, of autonomy and, and, and starting at those age groups is so, so important because look, the numbers, the numbers would say that we're losing too many kids at, at, at those teenage years. And, and why are we losing too, too many kids? And, and the point you made about engagement, I think is still, is still the key one because we're probably not engaging them enough. There's lots of other reasons, obviously, but that's a, that's a key coaching one that they're probably just not being engaged enough in the whole process that they're not being given you know, the keys to drive the car a little bit more, I suppose. Absolutely. And I think, you know, and that can be a little bit scary at times. Yeah. You know, for the coach in terms of, I want you to hand over the keys, you know, but again, where, where is it appropriate? What can you hand over the keys to? And then, uh, <laughs> excuse me, I guess the message I make is, you know, the more autonomy you give, the more trust they earn, the more autonomy you can give and the more rewarding, not just they will find the sessions, but you will find the sessions as well, because they're going to be partners now, really, really good partners in, in, in you know, designing the activities and shaping the activities and, and in, in driving the learning forwards. And, and it could be a really rich and rewarding experience, um, but it starts with, okay, how do I, um, how do I give little bits of autonomy and then just keep on building that as, as they go? Yeah. Um, Phil, we'll, we'll, I, I'm conscious of the time now, so I won't, I won't today too much longer. But um, in terms of, of, of other things, so we've probably, I've probably labored the, the skill development or skill acquisition stuff. But in terms of other areas that you've seen in, in, in the research or, or to the coaches that you're dealing with that are probably, you know, uh, big areas or a couple of highlight areas that, that maybe just to, to look at before we finish up, is there anything that kind of jumps out at you as something that, you know, we can, we can do a little bit better or we need to work on? Um, I think, well, it, it kind of, it, it, it goes back to one of the points we were talking about in terms of, of maybe coaches talking to each other a bit more. Yeah. Um, one of the exercises that we do, uh, so one of the one of the topics that we cover, we cover very broad topics on the first 
semester and the master's program. But one of the topics is relationships. Now that could be could be anything. It could be coach athlete relationships, athlete athlete relationships, coach parent relationships, coach coach relationships. So very broadly defined. Um, the exercise I do is I get the coaches to write a little vignette, a little scenario of a situation that you have encountered either directly or you've, you're familiar with the situation and it's gotta be an anonymous situation so nobody can recognize it, but it's a real problematic situation. You're thinking, geez, how, how would you deal with this? And I want you to pose this to the rest of the group as, you know, let's try and get them stumped. It's gonna be really tricky. How would you, how would you sort this one out? Um, and this year was a really interesting one in terms of, of um, problematic players. But half of the examples that came up were all around problematic players. And so I think, um, and I'm not necessarily saying the issue is that there's a whole race of, of, of problematic players coming through the system. But I think I'm saying is the, the conversations that we had and the strategies that people came up with and the things to try out was really, really rich. The answers didn't come from me, didn't come from the research. The answers came from getting some good problems on the table and then getting a discussion. How would you address those? How would you deal with those? Okay, that's something to go and experiment with. And I think that process for me, actually, that's the one. An awful lot of the answers are there, common sense for an awful lot of the, the basic questions and the basic problems that coaches face. Um, but I think we just need a bit better mechanism in order to, to um, share what those scenarios, share what those problems are, and then get some discussions going on that. I think that's that that mechanism. I think is is really key if we want to see a lot of coaches getting the small little small boost of confidence, small boost of advice in terms of where they can go and develop. I think that 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 mechanism for me about coach conversations and finding a way to do that within clubs, ideally across sports. Mm. And I love what. So Lane Cahill in cycling, Liliana O'Hora in, in athletics, um, Kira O'Connor in rowing, there's a couple of other sports as well involved in, in female sports coaching networks. And these are cross-sport female cross, cross right. uh, coaching networks. They're doing a really excellent job in starting that process. So that there are models there. I think that's what I'm really excited about, seeing those models grow. Um, I think there's huge potential in those. Yeah. Yeah, and and the, the ultimate goal, I suppose, really, Phil, is, is to try and keep as many kids playing sport, no matter what the sport is, for as long as possible, and 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 hopefully for for longer than, you know, the numbers would suggest that they they are playing right now, and and like if it's cross sports, I I think that's even better again because you're dealing with problems that you'd never encounter in GA or in soccer and basketball, and and there are probably some of those that are unique only to those sports, and and at least by having a conversation with people in other sports. You're, you're solving problems before before they ever arise in you in your in your own sport, you know. Yep. Or, or you know, other sports might have very good solutions. Yeah. They're caught within that that one sport, and so actually, these these are simple models that we don't have to go and reinvent the wheel. Actually, there's a really good solution just over there. But if we don't talk to the swimming coach, then we don't find out about that 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 solution exists. Yeah. Um, and as you say, I mean, you know, it's about keeping as many kids as possible involved because, you know, the the other the other really strong aspect, and this is, is, is part directly from my research, you know, when you're looking at kids at, at 11, 12, 13 years of age, you've no idea, mm. no idea what their potential is. You've no idea where they can go. You know, anyone who pretends that they do, I'm sorry, this is, uh, this is where I'll come as the scientist armed with my, my reams of data yeah. and I'll have an argument with anybody, yeah. but you better bring your data with you as well. <laughs> but, but this is the one where, you know, this is what sport is about. So, you know, we track, there's a, a great study in Canada tracking oh, about 30,000 kids born in, in Ontario back in the seventies and looking at them all the way through to ice hockey and how many of them play uh, a complete season or a, a career, five seasons worth in, in um, national hockey league. And of the, the 30,000 kids that started, we're talking about 0.018% went on and had a, the, the top high performance career. Now it's a little bit different because, you know, professional career isn't isn't the only you know elite high performance sport yeah probably probably the the most professional athlete i've ever known was nowhere near international level 
but he absolutely maximized his potential. Mm-hmm. He got everything he could out of his ability and his potential. And he was, a, he was a role model to train with, to watch. This guy was absolutely exemplary. Right. But you'll never know of him. But he was, I mean, he would have been happier with an Olympic medal, but he was, yeah. you know, but he got satisfaction from pursuing his personal yeah. best and that. So that there's, you know, we need to value that aspect of it as well. But, you know, even if we group the, the personally referenced excellent group with the elite reference excellence group, that's still a really small proportion. Mm. We've got to understand that the, the benefits of sport, the life skill benefits of sport, again, talk to Aaron O'Connell, who's one of our, our graduates about life skills, absolutely tremendous character uh, and his, his knowledge and his practical advice in terms of developing life skills. The knowledge is there for all these broader benefits of sport. Um, we just need to, to, to get that knowledge out and we just need to, to make sport an engaging place, as you say, to keep as many in there as possible so we get the opportunities to develop these, these broader benefits as well. Yeah, and, like, and that's why Fionn's stuff is, is so interesting. Uh, Fionn fits it, obviously, in, in that whole area of, of, of maturation and looking at a kid that's 11 or 12 or, or 13 or 14 and, and depending on where they are in that maturation scale, you know, sure, you you just have you just have no idea. And I I always when people start talking to me about you know this kid is going to be really good. Or I look at like Tom Brady was drafted a one one hundred ninety ninth like in the NFL draft, and like Tom Brady has gone on to be the greatest quarterback that ever played American football, which probably isn't an argument. And and professional scouts picking a guy who was eighteen or nineteen years of age picked one hundred ninety eight players ahead of him, like we really have no clue at 11 or 12 or 13 years of age, who are the kids that are going to be, you know, international senior athletes or inter-county footballers or international rugby. But it doesn't, we just, we just don't know. We think we do, but we really don't. And, and well, it gets worse than that because, you know, you take a look each year about how many of the, the Super Bowl players, the stat comes out every year, how mm-hmm. many of them are undrafted. Yeah. You know? And you're talking at least 25%, despite yeah. the fact this is this is a country where they are rating all the high school players onwards. Yeah. They've got probably 10 years data of rating of them. Mm-hmm. And even then they can't tell what chance have we got. I think um, and I think we need to be very careful with systems that we have, you know, that we're not uh, we're not so caught up with, you know, did you play minor? Did you play under 21? Yeah. That we're we're not closing our system down too narrow too soon. Yeah, uh, I think there's 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 so many you know so so Rob's work, Fionn's work in terms of the maturation aspects and the biases. There's there's an awful lot of really interesting research being asked about how do we how do we shape that process? How do we? Because I don't think development squads or school systems, school programs, they're not going away. So how do we how do we enrich them? How do we make yeah. them? you know, really valuable so that it doesn't matter whether somebody goes yeah. and makes it to an inter-county squad or not, but they get life benefits out of it, which really stand to them and stand to society as well. I think there's, and, and this is one of the big misnomers, you know, you don't get life skills out of sport automatically. You can, sport can be incredibly powerful for developing life skills and broader benefits, but it doesn't happen automatically. It requires good coaches good coaches who have a plan for developing life skills. And if they haven't, then there's a missed opportunity. And this is something for me, again, in terms of, you know, what I'd love to see if, if we're talking, you know, five, 10 years time, what's a big change in, in, in Irish coaching that you could sit down with any Irish grassroots coach and they'll tell you as much about life skill development as they'll tell you about technical, tactical skill development, mm. because that's within their power to shape and develop within young people. There's loads of guidance out there available now to help them shape that. Um, and they can have a really powerful and really rewarding influence on young people as well. And I think we, yeah, in, in the, the, the academic community in Sport Ireland, we, we can, we've got work to do to continue to promote the, as I say, the, the good work that's out there um, to make sure that it reaches coaches who, again, I think are, are, are hungry for the tools to be able to make that difference. Yeah. And, 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 and just to finish on that point, I suppose, Phil, like, where do, where do people, if, if, if I'm coaching a, a, an under 10 team and, I, I, and I'm hungry for this kind of knowledge, like where, where can I go to, to find that research? Where do I, where can I go and read this in something that I can understand now, not that's mm-hmm. going to baffle me with, with, with jargon or with whatever else, where can I find something that can actually make a tangible change to the way that I coach in terms of the research? 
So <clears throat> I do think we need to get better at this, as I say. I think there's there's a couple of places which are starting to evolve and starting to, to host some nice, nice elements. Um, so um, one of the one places I've been I've been highlighting a lot recently is an organization called iCoach Kids. Yeah. So iCoach Kids provide uh, both they've, they've a, a website, they've a YouTube channel, the host of kind of videos and, and little accessible bite-sized aspects. Mm. Uh, for me, they're one of the groups that do a really good job in terms of uh, collating some some really good practical advice. Um, we're starting to see some more um, international sites develop. So uh, I mentioned Aaron O'Connell, who's done his work on, on life skills. He published some really nice stuff on a, on a website called Sports Coach America recently. Um, and they've got some nice accessible pieces there as well. But I, I do think that we could do a better job in Ireland in terms of actually, you know, across national governing bodies, across Sport Ireland, just, just hosting and highlighting and signposting. It, and it's a, it's a collating as opposed to anything else. But here's some, some really good accessible resources for people. Um, yeah, I think, but there, there's, a, there's a shortage there. There's, there's definitely a shortage. But, you know, you're you're doing some nice podcasts and so you know stuff like this as well yeah definitely does help make that accessible yeah. but like it's just it's just i'm 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 like i i like like there's some really interesting stuff going on and it would just be so great to be able to sit down on a on a monday night or whatever and and instead of turning on the tv read something for a couple of minutes about some piece of research about you know whatever communities of practice or our or games-based coaching and and new information that's coming out all the time it, it is just i know there's people obviously that would like to, to to get that their hands on that stuff and and uh, and that's all we can do a better job obviously about pumping that out there and putting pumping it out there in a way that that is more accessible to people i suppose and understandable about people i'm going to finish the last one phil and i'm going to let you go guess, sorry go ahead sorry. i i, I no, I, I will. I will jump in on this one as well, though, because because this is a big part of, of kind of movement skill acquisition. Ireland, the group that I made in the conference that we ran, you know, actually the, the information is one part, but it's it's what do you do with that information? Mm. It's the kind of the follow up that's really essential. So how are you going to experiment with this in your practice? How are you going to put this into practice? Who are you going to talk to about it? Mm. You know, so. I think the the information is is one piece, yeah. But this is where again is where the 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 peer networks and the champions and somebody who goes, you said you were going to play around with that. How did it go? Mm. That's really important to make sure it becomes more than just a nice idea, but yeah. something that gets integrated into practice. Yeah, I got you. Um, last one. I, I'm I'm giving you a magic wand in terms of skill acquisition in sports in Ireland. You, you have the power. I'm giving you a serious magic wand. What is, the, what is the one significant change that you want to see happening in the next 10 years in terms of skill acquisition in sport in Ireland? Now, that's a serious responsibility I'm after giving you, Phil. So, you know, let me, give me something good. That's, that's, um, that's a dangerous amount of power that you're, you're, you're pushing <laughs> in the direction I'll be really careful with that one. I'm, I'm actually going to come back. So if, if I could affect one change. Yeah. You know, magic wand, wave that overnight. And okay, what happens next? I'm actually going to go back to something I said earlier, you know, so that we don't judge, we don't judge how much someone's learned on the basis of how, of how well they're performing. We judge it on the basis of how much they bring back to the next session. Now, if I could do move a magic wand so that every coach in the country suddenly they goes, no, no, that looks nice, but I'm not judging how much they've learned yet. I'm going to wait. You might think that's a really basic piece. But suddenly the knock-on consequences of that are really, really powerful. Suddenly coaches don't value methods that give you a short-term boost in performance. Mm -hmm. They value methods that bring about long-term learning. Mm -hmm. And so actually, if coaches just pause and wait, defer judgment on whether something is working or not until they actually see what comes back, it'll allow them to judge methods much more effectively. They won't get fooled by those methods. Mm -hmm. And these are the methods we see all the time. Coaches talk too much. Coaches don't ask enough questions. Coaches simplify drills too much. All those things will be found out as not working well enough if coaches just defer judgment on how much learning is happening until the next training session. Mm. 
So it sounds like a really simple thing, but that would be my that would be my use of the magic wand. Coaches mm. would would know to defer judgment because so many good things will come from just understanding and applying that one basic principle. Brilliant. Phil, that was magic. Uh, again, thanks a million for your time. I probably kept you a couple of minutes longer than I had intended. So apologies if I've kept you late for, for, uh, for something. Um, for the people that were listening, folks, again, I'm, I'm, I, and I know I keep saying I'm like a broken record at this stage, but um, obviously this is a fundraiser primarily for, for um, Recovery Haven in Tralee. Uh, and if you have found some value in, in that episode or in any of the episodes, again, um, I would ask that maybe you could find your way to make a donation to the, um, to the link that's in the podcast description below or on my podcast or on my, um, Twitter page at Mike Quirk. Uh, and again, every, everything raised goes directly to recovery Haven. So, uh, it would be most appreciated by them and by me, Phil, again, thanks a million for your time. Really appreciate it. I found that, that insightful man, really fascinating. And I'm sure everybody else will too. So thanks again for that. Really enjoy the chat. Thanks for having me on, Mike. 